When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Back at it after the bye means we are back making predictions for Sunday's game between the Browns and Ravens. The rematch of that 16-10 debacle, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, from a couple Sunday nights ago. So it's Mary Kay Cabot, Doug Marie, Scott Patsko, Ashley Bastock, and I. We make some prop bets, we come up with some prop bets and discuss them, and then we make our picks at the very end of the podcast. If you're not a Football Insider subscriber, become one. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. You get a newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day. I wrote today's newsletter. You get access to exclusive stories on Cleveland.com slash Browns, and you can become one of our text subscribers. Okay, let's do this. Some predictions for Sunday's Browns-Ravens rematch. Here we go on our Friday edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. We are back reviewing games on Fridays. And of course, it's a rematch with the Ravens. I do not remember anyone's predictions from two weeks ago. That's too long ago to remember. Uh, We're just going to pretend it didn't happen and move on. Scott, lead us off here. What? What? (laughs) What? Do you remember yours, Doug? I do not remember mine. I I I remember mine. You do? I remember. I don't don't remember that. I mean, I remember who I picked to win and what I said about that at Uh, the time. Okay. Doug, Doug and I, I think, got the game right, but I don't remember what I said would happen. I think I said Lamar would have four interceptions. I don't know. Check the tape <laughs> Pretty on. sure, sure that was you it. did. And I think I said they were going to be targeting Mark Andrews on all, all his receptions, interceptions. <laughs> However many there were, it would be Mark Andrews. Wild how accurate we were. All right, Scott, go ahead. All right, so uh, this is kind of a just feels like it's time kind of prediction. Uh, it's an over-under, and it has to do with Donovan Peoples-Jones. I think uh, it just feels like this is it's time for him to, to do something positive. He's had 10 targets in the last two games he's played. He's had three catches. Um, so that's not a great rate. Um, but Marlon Humphrey out this week for the Ravens, and he was all over DPJ in the last game. Three targets, one catch when he was in coverage against him. So I'm going to set the over-under on DPJ catches at four and a half. In this game, he's had at least four catches in a game twice in his career. Both are this season, four against the Cardinals, five against the Chargers. Uh, with the, all the unknowns at tight ends um, coming out of the bye, you would think that maybe they want to or they, they focused on ways to get the receivers more involved. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe DPJ has a game, and I'm going to take the over on this, four and a half. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go under, but just because of a prediction I have for later. So I don't. Th- I don't think the two can coexist. But um, who else has? Uh, who else has over on this, or well, or just a push? I was gonna say over, and actually, I'm gonna have to get a new prediction now because mine was also <laughs> TPJ centered. I was gonna say he was gonna have at least five receptions and over a hundred yards. And oh, no, no. Here's Trump Scott's then. Here's Trump Scott. Mine was very, mine was very bold. Mine was very bold, but so I'm going to take the over on Scott's um, and I can potentially come up with a new prediction, but uh, kind of like what you said, Scott, I feel like it's, it's time for him. Number one, I feel like that groin injury has been bothering him and he's gotten another week off now. So um, if he can get more separation, I think then, these numbers are feasible to me. Just let's be clear that Ashley's prediction is based on the fact that she wrote a gigantic yes. DPJ feature <laughs> Listen, and she doesn't want to be accused my, of jinxing him. My judgment Correct. is clouded. I cannot be a jinx. I'm the new person on this beat. So he has to do well after this, right? It's, it's, I'm as willing as, to happen. As long as Dan didn't write about him, he's, he's okay. Dan's that's, the kiss of death. That's true. That is true. Mary Kay, what do you think? Four catches for DPJ? You know what? I think I'm going to go with the over here as well, because somebody's going to have to catch the ball in this football game. Somebody's going to have to do it. And why not DPJ? I think he's going to be better after the bye week uh, because of the groin injury that he was struggling with before. 
Uh, I think it got to him sort of mentally. I don't know that he could run in the way that he wanted to. I think he was kind of worried about tweaking it again. Uh, so I think he's going to be a little bit freer and a little bit more aggressive. And the thing that he does so well is he wins his contested matchups. And I think that, you know, they're going to get him singled up with a, you know, a, a Chris Westry or, or someone like that. That's who is replacing Marlon Humphrey. He gave up a 49 yard touchdown pass in the bears game. Now he's been struggling with some injuries himself, but I think that uh, DPJ has an opportunity to here to catch at least five passes. It might even be more than that, but about five passes because uh, they're just kind of starting to run out of bodies. And if David Njoku does not play in this game, and I think he has a little bit of a chance, but if he doesn't play in this game, uh, then I think uh, DPJ is the beneficiary of a bunch of those targets. Yeah, and, and just so real quick on the whole uh, contested catches thing, he's, he ranks second in the NFL in rate of catching contested catches, according to PFF, 12 of 13 he has caught. And I think that the groin injury is really important here because he didn't come close to getting open against the Ravens last time, right? But if he was facing the Ravens' best corner most of the time and he wasn't himself physically, and now both of those things have swung in his favor, I will be very eager to see. Because there, I think we can go back and find DPJ highlights where he has like really nice releases off the line and he is beating guys with a move immediately and getting some separation. So he's got contested catches are great. And that's a great point, Mary Kay and a great stat, Scott, but also sometimes, you know, what's great uncontested catches because you're so open. So I'll be really curious to see how much better he is at that. If he's much closer to fully healthy. And I think our receiver emphasis is warranted and almost we like we can't get away from it my my thing is also receiver uh, centric here because we dan like we just we know what the deal is right like they've got to throw to receivers this game don't they yeah they they do they're they're gonna have to come up with, with a way to do that and i don't know who whether it's richard or jamarcus bradley or jarvis Landry or donovan people's jones or somebody's gonna have to step up but doug you said it it's receiver centric so let's keep this discussion going what's yours so mine's on Jarvis. I, I think this is right. I went back. Jarvis Landry, his time as a Brown. 2018 had four 100-yard receiving games. 2019 had two 100-yard receiving games. 2020 had one 100-yard receiving game. And this season, he has one 100-yard receiving game. And it was a, the game against the Ravens last time. So that's eight in his career. That's four in his first year in Cleveland and four since. So I just would also like to state for the record, I am not going to be bullied into making a more outrageous prediction by Mary Kay this time. Mary Kay, I'm just going to say what I'm going to say and just let me say it. <laughs> I'm sorry. What did I do to you last time? I forget. I said like you David Njoku is going to have two long catches and oh, you say, yeah. that's not you, good enough. You've you got to say nine. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> that it wasn't bold enough. The catches either had to be a longer distance or Doug had to make it more of them. And I'm sorry. You should not be bullied. Let me bully you. You should not. Mary Kate, happen. you're you're Mary Kate Cabot. You're very intimidating. <laughs> so the reason I laid that out is <laughs> saying Jarvis Landry will have 100 receiving yards might sound like, well, who cares? That's nothing. He's only done it four times in the last three seasons. He's only done it eight times in his career. As far as uh, this is quick work under Kevin Stefanski's offense, there have only been four 100 yard receiving games by any receiver. Five, five, two by Jarvis, one by Donovan Peoples Jones, one by OBJ, and one by Richard Higgins. So a hundred yard receiving game for any Browns receiver is in and of itself a bold prediction. So I think they should do this, but as we're laying out, they probably also have to do this. But we talked about it on Gotta Watch the Tape. Lance Reisland, who has joined us in doing some film work, laid out some really good points this week. They have they have to spread it out a little bit, I think, to help the run game open up. They've got to get some of those guys out of the box. And then they have to give the receivers a little bit of help in getting open. And I just think if you're doing a self-scout and what Kevin Stefanski evaluated in the bye week, 
I think maybe both of those points are things he also will have come around on. So I just think, and then, and then who's at the top of the list. I'm not disputing DPJ, but man, it's Jarvis time, baby. Like this, go to your best receiver. Don't spread it around. Go to your guy, go to your, go to the leader of the room. And so there's room for DPJ to have five catches and Jarvis Landry to go over hundred yards. So mine is Jarvis Landry, a hundred yard receiving game. I'm buttoning my lip. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm going to let you do this. Thank you, Mary Kay. <laughs> do you agree with them, Mary Kay? Yes, I do. I absolutely do. And you know, you know, the other bold prediction you could have made with this, Doug, if you didn't choose the 100 yard receiving game, you could have said that he would catch his first touchdown pass of the season. He doesn't have one yet. But anyways, I do think uh, that he will have 100 yards. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why I think that the Ravens are first in the NFL in giving up explosive pass plays. They have given up 54 explosive passway, pass plays defined as 20 yards or more. That's insane. The Browns, I think, are 19th with about 36 of those for comparison's sake. If you cannot hit some explosive plays in this football game, then something is gravely, gravely wrong with your passing game to a scary degree, okay? Like, the opportunities will be there. They are down three of their starting four defensive backs. They've only got one left that they originally started with, safety, Chuck Clark. So the chances should be there, uh, whether it be for for Jarvis or DPJ or, or whoever else, they're going to hit a couple this time. They also don't pick the ball off. They don't. I mean, they have, I think it's five interceptions for a second fewest in the NFL, or they might've bumped up one uh, to third fewest in the NFL, but they're right there at the bottom of the barrel. In fact, three of the teams down the stretch do not get any interceptions. So I think Kevin Stefanski can open things up a little bit and take more shots downfield, which Baker wants to happen. So I do think that Jarvis is going to go a hundred again. Yeah, I think there's room in this game for both DPJ and Jarvis, like just because of these tight ends that are potentially out right now that I think this is a little bit more feasible for me. But I'm also like debating since I said DPJ, I think DPJ could have over 100 yards and knowing how rare this is for Browns receivers now with those stats Doug provided, um, whether or not I think they both can do it. I don't know, but I do think there's room for one of them, at least in this game, to surpass that 100-yard mark. And like Mary Kay saying, they're going to need it, especially uh, knowing what the Ravens are struggling with right now. And if they can't take advantage of that, there's bigger issues at play here. Yeah, I'll go with this one, too. I, uh, I was, While everybody was talking, I was going back to the last few years. Jarvis has had at least 10 targets or at least nine targets, nine or more targets in six of the seven games he's played against the Ravens. Um, I thought that was interesting. He obviously over the last few years, he's had a lot of those types of games, but uh, like Doug said, he had 10 targets uh, two weeks ago. Um, yeah. And just with the issues they have right now with tight end, I mean, those, those targets have to go to somebody and they're going to go to a guy who's running a lot of those routes near the line of scrimmage like Jarvis does. Um so, yeah, I'm, I'm only on Jarvis getting, what, 100 yards? Did you go catch this, George, just 100 yards? I just said 100 yards. Yeah, yeah. I think he can do that, and DBJ can still get five catches. No problem. So our, our summary of the offense so far is somebody has to get targets and somebody yeah. has to make catches. That's the, the state of the Browns' offense. I am going to say no on the 100 yards, but I think this could still be a high-volume game for Jarvis because I – I feel like the Browns have to do something to counteract what the Ravens did too. If I'm the Ravens, I'm at least going to come out and see if what I did two weeks ago works. And so if I'm the Browns to counter that, maybe I'm, maybe I'm spreading things out a little bit and doing quicker stuff, a little more horizontal. Um, the, the guy I'm going to talk about in a little bit, unless somebody beats me to him, uh, he might be very involved in, in countering some of that stuff. So I think this could be one of those games where Jarvis has like, eight catches for 76 yards, something like that, where he's getting high volume, he's making an impact, but maybe the huge chunk plays uh, aren't necessarily there. So I'm going to go with the, the under hundred yards here. The main thing that I, that I so makes me so interested about the receivers in this game is 
I feel like Kevin Stefanski needs to get out of his comfort zone a little bit with how he ideally wants to run offense because they haven't been putting points on the board. And the fact that one tight end is injured and one tight end is on the COVID list is going to partially force him to do that. And I think that might be a good thing that I know, I know you're successful throwing to the tight ends, but what does it get you? So maybe let's see just a different distribution of how this passing game works. And I know that the three receiver sets have not been super functional for them, but I just think maybe part of it is because they don't do it as much as other teams. They aren't geared to it. They don't think that way. They just think about involving the tight end so much. It's like, well, what do you, so like I always joke, it's like, Hey, you want a coach to go for it more on fourth down, break the kicker's foot and break the punter's foot. Now you can't punt. You can't kick. Now you got to go on fourth down. It's like, Oh, you throwing the tight ends too much. Oh, your tight ends are hurt now. Now what are you going to do? You got to throw to somebody else. So I, I think this could be good for them. Well, the other thing I think with Jarvis is the fact that uh, these guys are going to blitz a fair amount. Uh, you know, Wink Martindale, he, he's going to blitz them and he's going to use some sort of, uh, you know, different packages and things. And he'll add some wrinkles in that they haven't seen it seen before, especially because they're going to try to take advantage of the challenge tackle situations. So you're going to have to come up with some of that. Uh, quicker stuff. And Jarvis excels at that stuff. I mean, when those holes open up uh, right there at the second level, uh, that's where you can find Jarvis and he can make his hay there. So I do think that this is sort of a, a Jarvis centric game if they play their cards right. And, and thinking about those long uh, explosive plays that you should be able to get against this secondary, you can only do that if you have the time to do it. And I don't know if they're going to have the time to do it. I think they're going to try to make sure that Baker doesn't have the time to do it like he really didn't in the first meeting. So it will be very interesting to see how they attack the Browns offensive line, which is a little bit, uh, just a little bit depleted right now. Yeah. And I think that that could be why we see a little more quick horizontal type stuff and mm-hmm. uh, where Jarvis might have some success because you might have a rookie starting at right tackle and a rookie who hasn't looked very good when he's gotten his opportunities. So, you know, they're, they're going to have to counteract that somehow. And the problem is they don't have a bunch of bodies at tight end to throw at it either. You know, and maybe it's going to be Johnny Stanton, Miller Forrestal. I don't, I don't know how those guys hold up against the Ravens blitz. We'll see. And, and the Browns have to be ready to, to kind of counteract against that. Okay. Uh, Mary Kay, you're up. Okay, so I am going to do something on uh, a player that I wrote about earlier in the week. And uh, I said that TJ Watt set the bar high for this game for Miles Garrett. Uh, He went out uh, against the Ravens and uh, took advantage of their uh, offensive line deficiencies and was able to come up with three and a half sacks, six quarterback hits, a forced fumble, and then the defensive play of the game there at the end on the uh, game-winning two-point attempt uh, to Mark Andrews. So what that did was it catapulted T.J. Watt up into number one on the sack leaderboard with 16, leaving Miles in second place at 14, but in 12 games compared to only 10 games for T.J. Watt. So he is making a strong case for himself. So not just in terms of winning this really, really important football game, but in terms of kind of getting himself back on the map, uh, I think that that Miles needs to try to have a little bit of a monster game of his own uh, within the framework of the defense, of course. But uh, I think the bar is set very high uh, for Miles. Now, he only has two career sacks against Lamar Jackson. Now, Lamar this year, though, is giving he's, he's getting sacked a ton. I think he might be first in the NFL, but if he's not first, he's right up there. Scott, you could probably, you probably know that off the top of your head, but Pretty sure he's first. Yeah. So he's getting sacked like crazy. He got sacked seven times in the 2019 loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So it's game on the Browns are going to be going to be coming after him. And I think the leader of the pack will be miles. So I'm going to set, uh, set it. You have to tell me, you guys tell me over or under um, two and a half sacks for miles. And I think, Uh, Here's what he needs to do. He's got to get a a strip every once in a while here. He's got five games left 
to make some of those game-changing plays that put him on the map last season. So strip and, and two and a half sacks for Miles Garrett in this football game. I'm going to so, go. Oh, go ahead. I, I, I wonder, we talked so much about how they got so close to Lamar Jackson in the last game and didn't finish it off. I wonder when you watch film of that, what you do, what are the adjustments you can make of how do we get home on this guy? Are there rush angles? Are there ways that you can try to pin him in or just, they have such firsthand experience of like, man, we were six inches away last time. What are the adjustments you can make? That kind of thinking Mary Kay makes me wonder if there is a much greater chance of, of them actually getting to him because they got good pressure. So now finish it off. I can imagine that's that's what they've been doing for two weeks is Clowney and, and Miles and everybody else that they're trying to figure out that problem. So it's an interesting proposition to think of it that way. And, and so I'll say uh, I got to I got to decide more. I'm going to I'm going to do the opposite of what Ashley says. So I'll wait and see what the other people say. <laughs> way to put the pressure on Doug. Um, two and a half sacks, Mary Kay, right? Yes. OK. I'm going to be bold and take equal or the over. Um, I do think we really haven't seen him, I think, get more than one sack even since that Bengals game, right? And knowing how close they were, knowing Miles' kind of drive, I mean, I know he doesn't like to talk about getting that sack record, being close to it, but he's a competitor. Like, he has to want it. Like, knowing how he plays, like, he has to be super motivated knowing that T.J. Watt is now ahead of him. So I think knowing the opportunities that were there last time and, you know, we've heard the defensive guys these last like two weeks talk about like, yeah, we got the four picks and we should have gotten more because of that uh, more points that is, but I know they've talked about things that they think they can clean up. And I think that is a big part of the things they think that they need to clean up this next time out. So um, I'm going to say two and a half or more then. All right, Doug. So you said you were going to say the opposite. Yeah, come on. I'm comfortable <laughs> with that. I'm actually, I'm, I would rather take the under. It's just a lot. And the opposite of it is the Ravens are going to be like, man, we were lucky that they weren't all over Lamar Jackson last time. We've got to figure something, figure something out so they don't get as much pressure. It's a high bar. Mary Kay likes to be bold. So I, I think maybe two and a half is a little much, but I certainly would envision Miles Garrett, given the late Ravens and Lamar Jackson, a lot of trouble. I'm under guy today, apparently. Yeah, I'm going to do the under. Now, he might get that strip sack, though. That, that one wouldn't surprise me. But I'm going to say the under two and a half. But the thing is, with, with Miles, like, he's just been so good creating pressure this year. Um, you know, you've got Max Crosby leading the way among edges with 76. Shaq Barrett has 60. And then Miles and Matthew Judon each have 59. Trey Hendrickson has 57. Uh, you know, the... If, even if he doesn't get those two and a half sacks, he's going to be creating pressure all over the place, just like he has all year. Um, so, so I think he's going to be a, a factor in this game. And I do think he'll at least get that one sack to, to set the team record. Um, you know, cause come on, he wants to set it against Lamar Jackson. He doesn't want to set it on a Saturday afternoon against Derek Carr. He wants to set it against the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. So I think we'll at least see that. Yeah. I'm going to go under two. I, Two and a half is a big number. Um, ideally, uh, they're they're getting they're using miles to open up opportunities for other people, um, whether that's people blitzing or, or or whatever. He did have five pressures last time, uh, and I think he will get a lot of pressure. I mean, coming from the right side, he I know he's not leading the league in pressure, but he, pressure rate going against left tackles, miles is leading. Um, so he doesn't need as many, I guess, opportunities to to create as many pressures as a lot of those guys. Uh, I don't know how many people who vote on defensive player of the year take that into account. They might just look at, hey, who has the most sacks? Who has the most pressures? Um, but I think that two and a half is just a lot. I mean, that's it's not playing Justin Fields and the Bears. I think that the, the, they do have some line issues, the Ravens do. But, uh, yeah, I'm just going to go under. That's too big of a number for me. Now, the, the thing working in Miles' advantage here, though, and I think in T.J. Watt's advantage, was Lamar's kind of a mess right now. So, 
you know, it, maybe he maybe he's not sure what he's seeing, or because of all the interceptions, he's just not trusting what he's seeing right now, and and that might lead to some more opportunities to bring him down as well. You know all what? Right. Real, real oh, quick, ahead. I just wanted to also mention. I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but uh, this is something I'm going to be keeping an eye on a little bit with Miles, and that is, um, you know, in talking to his mom in the off season, that is when she revealed to me that he suffers from asthma. And she mentioned that once the air gets cold, uh, that's when it really starts to hit him. And I have noticed a little huffing and puffing on the sidelines from time to time. And, uh, you know, I've often wondered, will he suffer more ill effects from that, you know, knowing that he had uh, COVID last year. So um, I just have to wonder that in these games, if he's going to you know, run out of gas a little bit just because of the asthma as the air gets colder. So I didn't know if anybody else had noticed occasionally the hands on the hips and, uh, you know, and him maybe occasionally struggling to breathe a little bit. I haven't, but I'm going to now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's something to keep an eye on. All right, Ashley, you're up. All right, I'm going back to the offense, and Dan, I have a feeling I'm stealing a version of your prediction. I don't know if if I do. I'm I'm so sorry. You made it this far, and you come so close. But they have to pass the ball to somebody, right? We've said it. We think it's going to be a receiver, but what if it's not? I think last time out, I also did a Kareem Hunt in the pass game prediction. I think it sounds vaguely familiar to me. So I'm going to stick with my guns and say I think Kareem is going to have his best receiving game of the season to date. So those numbers, I would take the over on all of these seven targets, six receptions, and 74 yards. Well, you did. You took mine. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I went more conservative, though, so I'm glad I'm glad we're, we're going with yours. Um, so I'll just add to your argument. Joel Batonio, I thought, said something very interesting today when he was asked about what he saw the Ravens do against the Steelers versus what they did against the Browns. And he said, when the Browns came out in their three receiver sets, the Ravens stayed in base, which is they weren't, the Browns were not expecting that. They didn't do it against the Steelers. So the Ravens had no respect for the Browns receivers. They stayed in their base defense when the Browns went, went um, three wide for the most part. Who's the guy that just destroys a base defense if you stay in it? Kareem Hunt. Because you either put a linebacker on him and he cooks him in the passing game, or you put a safety or a corner on him, you can hand it off to him. He's just going to run the guy over. So I think this is a big Kareem Hunt game as well. So, yeah, we'll go uh, – I'll, I'll just jump on board with yours, Ashley. Seven targets, six catches, 74 yards, over all the way. And a big – that was a big part of my prediction. Like, I guess I should have elaborated slightly more. But I also <laughs> think, too, with him – this would be, you know, his second game back from that calf injury. Now he only played what 23 snaps in the first game against the Ravens. I think we're also just going to see him more and physically he's going to be better, you know, at least one step further along, I think to be able to be out there more and be more effective and more physical in that past game. I think I'm going to go under. The rest of you are in a pinch now because you've gone over on Jarvis over on DPJ. I yeah. think I also did that though, and then made this <laughs> prediction. So I'm just a chaos agent today. I, I think I'm going to go under on the, on the targets and the receptions. I mean, I could see him maybe getting five catches. I, I don't know if he's going to get six. That seems like a little bit much for me uh, in this game. For whatever but Mary reason. Kay, the pass defense, the Ravens pass defense. What are they oh, ranked yeah. again? Yeah. <laughs> 31st in the NFL. <laughs> but anyways, you know what? I, here's the thing with Kareem. I always expect Kareem to have these monster games. And he's never used as much as I think he's going to be. Even in the opener against Kansas City, after they didn't use him enough in the playoff game against, against Kansas City, they still didn't use him enough in the opener against Kansas City. So... I, when I always think that he's going to have all these targets and all these runs and this enormous impact, it doesn't always come to fruition for whatever reason. Now I'll be wrong this time and it will. Um, so I'll just use some reverse psychology, but, um, but I think six seems like a little high in terms of receptions for Kareem, for me, I think he'll run the ball uh, a significant amount, 
but I don't know if he'll get six catches. I have to, let me go back. I want to go back and look at his career highs and catches. I don't think he usually um, ends up with that many. I, I doubt that he has very the, many times. The six receptions this year came against Chicago for reference. And then the next closest game, he had five receptions against the Chargers. So okay. that's, that's the marks this year, the higher end marks this yeah. year. Okay, good. Uh, nope. I mean, no catches I last know. time out against Baltimore. One target, no catches. Right. Last game. But they had the screen that was set up to him that Baker dropped the ball. Right. I'll go you- under. Six is high, I think. I'll go under. I can. I could see him with like two game-breaking receptions, like a screen that really hits and maybe a little route in the middle of the field that really hits. But I think the volume of that feels a little high to me, even without the tight ends. I'm going to go under two. Uh, something that doesn't happen a lot is people throwing to their running backs against the Ravens. If he had six catches, they've given up 25 to running backs. Uh, and I'm, I'm only looking at flat throws, screens, and swing passes. Like those are, that's, those are ways you're probably going to get the ball to, to your running back the most. Um, and that's the second fewest, 25 uh, targets to running backs against the Ravens, second fewest in the league. I, Every reason people just don't want to throw their running backs against the Ravens. Um, they have other ways of attacking them. So I'm going to go under. I don't know that the Browns are come out and set new ground that way, but I do think it's vital that they get Kareem Hunt involved for sure. You're right, Mary Kay. Some of those games where you're kind of expecting them to really take advantage of his versatility and it just, for whatever reason, hasn't happened. Um, this seems like a game where maybe it should. So just for reference, Kareem has gone over six catches three times in his career, twice when Freddie Kitchens was the play caller. Uh, he had eight for 62 against the Cardinals and seven for 44 um, against the Bills, both in 2019. And then the, the other one was seven for 51 against the Chargers when he was with Kansas City. And then as far as that 74-yard number you're looking at, four games that he's gone 74 or more yards in his career and just once with the Browns. But that one time with the Browns, six for 77 against the Baltimore Ravens on Monday night football, that 47, 42 shootout. So um, that was one of the the few times that he's gone over that 74 number. Um, Did everybody, everybody weighed in on that one, right? Okay. So wait a a minute, Dan, Dan, what you're, what you're saying here is that, Kevin Stefanski should take some play calling tips from Freddie Kitchens, right? I knew I liked that guy. (laughs) See, you're, you're, I, you're saying it sarcastically. I was about to say it like moderately for real, because when you go back and you start to look for things like when were the, the Browns best playmakers getting involved in the offense more, you land on 2019. There are guys. It's like, Oh, well, I mean, Odell had his best year as a Brown in 2019. I mean, I, I, so it's like, Kareem Hunt. It's like, who got Kareem? Oh, Mary Kay, you want Kareem Hunt more involved? I'm not saying that Freddie Kitchen was a better football coach. I'm saying there is a limit to this tight end heavy offense when one of the results is the guys that it feels like you want the ball in their hands more often are not getting it as often. And I think it's a, it's a slight reminder because it's not really Freddie Kitchens. It's head coach who is not so tight end and run game centric X, which is a lot of people. And, I'm, and again, that's not a that doesn't mean Kevin Stefanski's system can't work, but in a world where they're not scoring points, maybe maybe we all need a little little more Freddie Kitchens in us right now. I, okay, I mean, so Kevin Kevin probably could use a little bit more of that. Screw it, I'm just going to run the wishbone, <laughs> right? I mean, like there is a little bit of that, you know, freewheeling Freddie Kitchens stuff that did help this football team at times, you know, back in 2018 and, and during some stretches in 2019. So get a cold compress and lay down and the feeling will pass. Okay. You guys are going to be okay. It, it, it's going to go away. Don't worry about it. Freddie kitchen. You guys, <laughs> you guys want my, the t-shirts Great. I'm going to make that say, screw it. I'm just running the wishbone. Yeah. I'll take <laughs> right. extra large, please. Pittsburgh started it. <laughs> the t-shirt. Kitchens. The Not t-shirt the hero we need. The hero we deserve. <laughs> the t-shirt economy in Cleveland, I think, always has room for new players, Dan. I like this for you. I'm, in. I'm starting a, a rogue t-shirt company. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So here's mine. It's Lamar Jackson-centric because I've said over and over again, the Browns aren't going to get four interceptions off Lamar again. That's never going to happen again. But 
over under because Lamar Jackson has been just throwing the ball to the other team a bunch lately. Eight interceptions in his last, is it four games now, I think? Four, yeah, four. Uh, so over under two interceptions on Sunday for the Cleveland Browns defense. This was actually going to be my backup prediction if someone yes. took my Kareem Hunt one before me. So I have to take over. I really think they could do it again. Like Lamar, like you said earlier, Dan, I think Lamar just is kind of a mess right now. And he, whatever is going on, if he's not trusting what he's seeing or, or, you know, something is not fully right. So I think this defense can kind of take advantage of that again. And quite honestly, they might need to, they're going to need some of those takeaways against this team again. And um, they're going to obviously need the offense to do more with them, but I definitely think this is feasible for them. I think I'm going to take the push on this. Two feels about right to me. Uh, and I, I watched Lamar's interview yesterday and, and he's basically saying, you know what? I can't let that happen again. I am not letting that happen again where I throw four interceptions. Now, having said that, I mean, like, is there anything he can really do about it right now? They certainly have his number when he tries to throw the ball to Mark Andrews. So if he wants to not throw as many interceptions this game, he's really going to have to mix it up. And they're also going to have to run the ball more with Freeman and real and to a, a certain extent, Murray. I mean, they're going to have to, to really try to run the ball a little bit and not put him in position uh, to make those kinds of mistakes. He's got to settle down if, if they want to win. Um, eight interceptions in his last four games, which incidentally matches the Browns eight interceptions in their last four games defensively. Um, so uh, I think two is about the number. I, I think it's going to happen. I think he's going to be a little bit more careful, uh, but he's going to make a couple mistakes and they're going to make him pay. I'm, I'm going to say under, I'm going to say zero because this is one of those games where it just seems like everything is pointing to something obviously happening. Browns are picking off people. Lamar Jackson's throwing interceptions. And then it's just not going to happen for whatever reason. Uh, perhaps he wants to hold the ball a little longer and he's a little more gun shy about throwing. Maybe he tries to take off a little more than normal just to avoid the picks. Um, but I'm going to go with zero on this. Zero I actually, might be more bold than two. I like it. <laughs> I think that so we're sort of diagnosing with all this stuff we're talking about with the Browns, predicting what the Browns receivers and Kareem Hunt are going to do. We are projecting a good Baker Mayfield game if we're talking about Jarvis and Donovan Peoples-Jones and Kareem Hunt and all the stuff they might do. And so I think there are reasons to do that, right? Getting healthy off the bye, reassess the offense, that kind of thing. I also would imagine that Lamar Jackson, while he's in this slump, might be viewing the Browns as a, this is my get healthy game, right? I'm going to learn from my mistakes of two weeks ago. We're coming off this tough loss to the Steelers. Remember the shootout in Cleveland last time, how awesome that was. He didn't throw the ball all over the place in that game, but he ran it like crazy. He was the hero coming back out of the locker room. So I think it's possible this game is very different on both sides of the ball. And that instead of a game with 26 total points, maybe we get a game with more like 60 total points. I'm not predicted an 80 or 90, but so I don't want to be in a place where I think the Browns are going to figure everything out off off of with their offense, but the Ravens are going to have the exact same problems on offense that they had against the Browns two weeks ago. So yes, the Browns defense is more set up to handle Lamar Jackson. JOK is only going to be healthier. They're all geared up for this, but I'm anticipating a better Lamar because even though he's been bad, like, is he going to be bad the rest of the year? Or is this the line in the sand? I mean, it would be the Browns luck, right? Or, I mean, it's a division game. This is a big deal. Maybe this is the line in the sand. This is where Lamar starts to turn it around. So I, I'm kind of thinking that the Browns are going to have to try to beat good Lamar and not anticipate they're going to get another version of bad Lamar as we've seen for the last month. So I'll go under on this. All right. Did we all get, did we all get that one? Yeah, I guess we did. Okay. I'm taking the push, by the way. I'm taking the Ellis Williams push lock of the week, whatever it was called. Are you guys as up to date on Carolina Panthers news as I am now, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> I've never known more about the Carolina Panthers than I do at this exact moment in my life. I'm with you. Which, by the way, Doug, this is the time before we go back to Scott for his second interception to ask, does the Carson Wentz bet still apply? I was <laughs> thinking the other day about 
how that I love Carson Wentz beefcake photo is going to look in my office. I was, I was actually, I legitimately pondered that because yes, the bet still does apply, especially if I lose, I'm going to make myself do it. And if he loses, I'm going to mail him. I'm going to mail him the Carson Wentz sucks poster. So yes, it might not apply in his mind anymore, but it applies in mine. What's the bet again though? Wait, I'm, refresh our memory. I'm going to put the audio into the podcast here. Cause I did keep the audio of that bet. I don't know if you guys noticed. I keep some audio files every now and then. <laughs> I do scary. have the audio of the bet. So I'm going to put it in right here. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to make you a bet. And if the Colts finish with a better record than the Browns, I will hang a poster in my house that says, I love Carson Wentz. And it can be like a shot of him, like out leaning against a fence, shirtless with a deer over his shoulder, a dead, bloody deer. Yeah. Wow. But, I, but now the, the wrinkle in this that Ellis will win anyway is, the Colts are not winning because of Carson Wentz. Half the time they are winning despite Carson Wentz and Jonathan Taylor is running wild, but I've got to take my medicine regardless. So, Okay. Scott, what was your second prediction? Uh, my, uh, my second is just a straight up prop bet. Um, somebody other than Baker Mayfield will take a snap from center on Sunday. And you can take that however you want. They, they had Jarvis Landry and Johnny Stanton they'll both take a snap so two of the last three games. But there's also Case Keenum to consider. Maybe Baker's injured. Maybe he's pulled. Maybe Case Keenum comes in for victory formation. I'll leave the reasoning up to you. But the bet here is that somebody else will take a snap from center for the Browns on Sunday. I will say Johnny Stanton will take a snap. I'll say Jarvis takes one. Do you have to say who? What makes it more interesting? I was going to say Kareem Hunt. I almost see like a Kareem Hunt wildcat kind of red zone kind of thing. Like, let's shake it up. So I'll, I'll take somebody, but not Case Keenum. I'm, I think I would go Jarvis. I think I would go Jarvis. They're, they're, they're going to hit it one of these days. He's getting healthier. He's feeling better. He's coming around. Uh, I think he still is their best bet for uh, that kind of a, a trick play. Let's just have them not run it right at the moment when they're normal <laughs> offense is finally starting to function and it's like hey that was a good normal offense play let's put the receiver at quarterback can you save it maybe for when it's not then <laughs> see they mess up by never putting Njoku in the backfield see if they did that sometimes then you direct snap to him like say he's a blocking back and then he just jumps over the entire line because I'm pretty sure he could do it he tries to jump over anybody anyways and he was a was he like a a state champion high jumper in high school. Um, that's, that's the play I want to see. Nujoku jumping over everybody for a touchdown, but he might not even play in this game. But I do like the idea of Kareem uh, doing that uh, on a goal-to-go type play. Um, that, could, that could be interesting. Okay, did anybody have a second uh, prediction before we move on? So I'll do another over-under because it was a hot topic this week. Number of snaps with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on the field together. And I will set the over under at zero because this feels to me like one of those things that the media talks about for a week. And the chemist fancy is like, Oh yeah, no, I guess that, 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 could, that could happen. And then it's like, it didn't happen. It didn't come any closer to happening than ever has come. Like it's not going to happen. So it, this is, as Scott was saying, it's so, sometimes it's like, it's, there's a thing that's a big discussion point that has no relevant effect on the actual football game. So I am at see it when I believe it mode with Chubb and Hunt together. So will they even do it once? I'll say no. I'm so glad you brought this up, Doug, because I got almost like annoyed throughout the week. It, be, it took on a life of its own. I mean, I think like we mentioned it on a podcast last week that it was, you know, something that we would like for it to happen or whatever. Uh, you know, just kind of throwing it out there. I mean, they never do it. Um, you know, just an idea. And then now it became the one way to save the Cleveland Browns season put, you have to put Nick Chubb and Kareem hunt on the field together, or you are not making the playoffs this season. I mean, like it just was, it got so far out of the, out of control. I even said on the radio this morning, I'm like, yeah, I definitely think that more Kareem would help everybody involved, but they don't necessarily have to be on the field at the exact same time. I mean, I think now it's to the point where Kevin will be like, 
not doing that. I'm not doing that just because you people are telling me I have to do that. So this just got way, way too big and out of control. Now, Alex Van Pelt is to blame for some of this, for keeping this going. Back in training camp, it was brought up uh, because, you know, we had seen it uh, the season prior. And Van Pelt said, we would be crazy not to put those guys on the field at the same time. Both are dynamic as runners, pass catchers, and protectors. And then the next time he talked, he really dialed that back and talked about how, well, we really like how we used them last year. And, uh, you know. And so I think Kevin Stefanski probably got to him uh, in the in the week between press conferences there, and the tone kind of changed. But yeah, I, I I'm going to go with zero on this. I just I I don't understand why people just instantly go to that. Like I've said, like said the other day on the Got to Watch the Tape, it's like they have this vision of them lateraling the ball to each other as they run down the field. Like that's how that's going to work. You know, your your two best runners out there sharing the ball somehow. It's it's just not, it's not something that I don't think they're going to really, uh, really try to ramp up at all. Yeah, I, do, I would take I zero. Think, oh, or, I was going to say I would take zero or less than zero. Like maybe Kevin Stefanski builds a time machine and he races all the previous times, the handful of times the Browns have done this in the past. Like, I just don't see it happening. I do think like Mary Kay was saying, it kind of took on a life of its own with no basis in really anything that that was said definitively by anyone involved who makes these decisions. So I, I just don't think we're we're gonna see it. It's not something we've seen often. I'd be surprised if there were changes made that that level of drastic change made during the bye week. Yeah, it, I, I think the, the question of will it happen and maybe should it happen are are different. I think a couple plays, you could probably do some things get creative with your formations, occupy somebody on defense, something, something like that. I don't think it's a fix-all, oh, the offense is going to score 40 a game if you play these two guys together. And the reality is they haven't done it a single time this year, and they did it six times last year. So, it was, look, Freddie Kitchens would have done it every play if, if he were here and getting asked questions about it every single week, and he did it, to, and it was effective when he did it in 2019. So I think there's something there, but I don't think it's some giant – fix all um, because you're right, Scott, they, they aren't both going to touch the ball in the same play. So, you know, you can gain something from having them both out there pre-snap, but once the ball is snapped, the play is kind of a play. And, no, and no. I, oh, go ahead. I, I go am ahead, just kind of, I, I think I got to watch the tape. I said something like, Hey, eight to 10 snaps of that. I could see that as a wrinkle. So I'm contradicting myself because I do think I'm kind of in the should, but I'm in the also in the won't. But if you tell me that you line up Chubb and Hunt on either side of Baker and Hunt goes in motion to the right and the the Ravens have to adjust to that and then you throw a screen back to Chubb the other way, I think Kareem Hunt has helped open that up. Or you tell me that you do, right? I mean, there's, again, it's not in the backfield blocking for each other, but it's an extra playmaker on the field if the other option, well, Kareem Hunt's on the field, that means Jamarcus Bradley's off the field. It's like, cool. There's more playmakers on the field now. And you do some stuff with misdirection and you draw attention of, of the defense to free up the other guy or whatever. But I'm also sort of like, well, I'll believe that when I see it. And if they do it, I will happily come on the postgame pod and say, Kevin Stefanski took that zero and said, I'll show you your zero times doing that and got creative with it. Awesome. So I think they should, but I think they won't. I think they will do it. I think they will do it like once. I am going to take the over here. I think they'll do it like once or twice. Um, but, but I did like, I kind of what you're saying, Doug, I think there's something to this idea of, you know, we see them split Nick Chubb out wide. Sometimes we see them split Andy Janovich out wide. Sometimes, sometimes that's because he's going to block on a throw out there. Sometimes it's just because you want to have a body out there. The defense has to cover, just get a defender out of the box. Well, you know, if that's Kareem hunt, then maybe a defender is out of the box and the safety's kind of leaning that way a little bit. There are, I think there are things they could do some eye candy they could create uh, if, if they did use them on the field together a little more. Here's one reason why I think it actually might be possible this week, whereas it wasn't necessarily done at any other game in, in this season. And that is because Kareem really does have the capability. He's versatile enough to almost take on some of the duties of a tight end or like an H back type of player. 
And if they are down two tight ends in this game and you need somebody to fulfill that role and you've got other people that can do it, but Kareem is one of those guys that can do that. So if you need somebody to help chip, uh, you know, help if James Hudson's going to start or even Blake Hans, if you need somebody uh, over there to help, you know, chip and block uh, those guys a little bit or take on some of those duties that, that a David Njoku would have had if he can't play or maybe even a Harrison Bryant, uh, you know, I, he could almost serve as another tight end for you. Crazy as that sounds. So therefore in this particular game, if we see it, it might have something to do with that. Yeah. That's the conversation I just had in my head with myself uh, before you said it. And I kind of talked myself into them <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe running a couple plays like that because of the fact that they are down tight ends um, and that does make sense. They haven't re- used 21 personnel a lot this season, uh, like 7% of the time, but they've actually passed pretty well out of it. Um, their success rate is 57%, which is pretty good. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to change my answer and, uh, I'll say they probably try. I don't see that becoming like a, uh, uh, you know, a repeatable thing in this offense. That's going to like justify all the questions they've gotten about it. But I do think that this is a week where it could certainly happen and it it would, it would make a little more sense anyways. Yeah. I think if David Njoku doesn't play in this game and again, for some reason he keeps saying that he feels fine and it's making me think that like, maybe he is going to play in this game. Um, If he plays, then it's less likely, Uh, but they still are down one tight end in Harrison Bryant. So I'm going to say over, even if it's one or two, I'm going to go with the over on that because of the H back tight end role. You guys see what's happening? We were going around the horn and everybody said there's no way it happens. And now we're all talking ourselves into it because we've talked about it for a little while. So Kevin Stefanski has been getting asked about it all week. Monday, he was probably like, ah, those idiots. There's no way we're doing that. Now, four days later, maybe they're onto something. That's that's a lot different than the basis of the whole question to begin with, though, because it's always it's, you know, gosh, you got to get these guys on the field together and somehow, you know, cut the bone, too. And yeah. Um, we're, we're saying maybe a couple plays and but it'll be one play and they'll both split out wide and, you know, Baker will sneak it and they won't even factor into what's going on. Is that everything? All our, uh, all our little prop bets. All and right. I do, well, I'll have, I'll throw in one more then. Oh man. Very quickly. Very quickly. Blake Hance offensive snaps over under zero. Mm. I have never seen a team so eager to not play a guy than Blake Hans. And now it's going to be James Hudson, right? Is that where everybody is here on Thursday afternoon? That's the indication? Yes. All signs are pointing to James Hudson starting. Yeah. So now they just have to keep Jed Wills and James Hudson healthy for every single offensive snap. Right. Because they also might do the Hoosiers thing where like James Hudson's going to get hurt and leave the field. And Kevin Stefanski is going to say, I've got my four. Those are my four offensive linemen. I don't want a right tackle if the only option is Blake Hans. Well, James Hudson's going to test positive for COVID tomorrow. So I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think Blake is going to play 74 snaps. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, I, I, I'm going I'm to say that he gets some on the field for a couple, at least a couple of snaps. Something's going to happen and he's going to be out there for it's something. Say zero. Yeah, that I I think I'm with Mary Kay, like in theory zero, but I do think like what we've seen of James Hudson, I'm not entirely confident that he stays out there for an entire game without incident or, or something like that. So I think maybe a handful, but James Hudson's probably your starter. Yeah. I mean, Hudson must've really been blowing people away in practice. Uh, that wasn't open to the media to, to kind of leapfrog and get into this position. If it is him. Uh, away. This is anybody but Blake Hans. This is a, a breathing body. All for two weeks. They've said, oh, is your right tackle Blake Hans? They're like, ah, maybe not. It's like, but isn't he literally the only option? And they're like, ah, we'll find somebody. This is zero <laughs> about James Hudson. Yeah, but he's I, the guy. If it's not Hans, I think you got to go with Hans. I, they said, say, uh, they said in interviews Thursday, it's going to be James Hudson. I think it's more likely Joe Thomas lands at the 50-yard line in a helicopter and plays right tackle than Blake Hudson starts or Blake Hans starts. It's, 
I combined the two into Blake Hudson. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they're going to do. It's going to be Blake Hudson. They're going to alternate series. They'll alternate series and try to figure out which one of these guys can hold off the fire-breathing dragon called Tyus Bowser. I was picturing like a mad scientist in a laboratory combining the two of them to just create one tackle that the Browns have to live with. If you're a mad scientist in a laboratory making a tackle, you're not combining Blake Hans and James Hudson. (laughs) (laughs) Blake Hans is going to play in this game. That's my answer. Scott, do you think he's going to start? He's going to play in this game. That's what I think. I think he's going to play some snaps because something's going to happen to either Jed or James. For at least, even if it's just like two plays, something. We didn't think he was going to play last time out against the Ravens and then Jack Conklin goes down. I mean, I think it's, it's at this point, just like something happens that they unexpectedly need him. I think that's maybe where they are with him. Wink Martindale is a very smart defensive coordinator. And and that's obviously why they're, they're not letting on and announcing who's starting uh, at right tackle, but they're, they're going to take advantage of whoever is over there. I'm going to try to help Scott process this situation because he seems reluctant to face the reality. Scott, just think of Blake Hance as the Rashard Higgins of tackles. And that's what the Browns think of him. Could be we, it. We I mean, do it, a- it's just, it's wild because they couldn't run the ball and you're taking, if you're replacing Hance with Hudson, you're taking a guy who's actually been okay as a run blocker and replacing him with a guy who's been really bad as a run blocker. So, yeah, but hey, I'm not the coach and they're better right. off for it. Before Doug starts throwing out more, more bets for us here, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll make our game. Break. All right, back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Here we go. Browns, Ravens, the rematch, the Ravens losing to the Steelers in between. Uh, Browns minus two and a half at home. The total on this game is 43 points. So, what are we thinking in this game? Will the Browns bounce back, or will the Ravens put an essentially put an end to the Browns' 2021 season? Ravens 20, Browns 10, the season's essentially over. Who else is going with the Ravens? I looked at the, uh, you know, the New York Times playoff predictor today, and the Browns' playoff chances, I put this in our newsletter this morning, dwindle to nine percent if they lose this game nine percent chance of making the playoffs if they lose this football game so the stakes are very 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 high and and i've been thinking about this they i think you have to win the division the afc north might only get one team in yeah i think you got you got to win the division So when I picked the Ravens to win two weeks ago, I said, I promise I will pick the Browns to win in Cleveland off the bye when they've regrouped, when they're healthier, when they are mentally and emotionally fresh. I'm looking at the weather. Looks like it's going to be sunny and in the 40s. So that shouldn't jack anything up. You know, if they aren't, if they don't absolutely get trampled by COVID in the next two days, then I think this is... I think you have to determine, do you think they're going to look as bad as they've looked? Or are they going to look better? Did they do anything with the bye? Is Baker going to be better? Is Kevin Stefanski going to be better? Is this offense going to look more functional? Is Kareem Hunt going to be healthier? I know there's some tight ends out, but man, this is a test. If you can't look any better after this bye, come on, like, what are you doing? So if you have any belief in them at all, then I think you pick them to win. And then can you sustain it for the next month? I don't know. I don't know. They're playing a bunch of teams in a playoff race. But if we don't get some version of the best of the Browns or the best that we've seen from the Browns in at least like six weeks, then I think you're really disappointed in Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield. Because if you can't get up for this, if you can't show your best now, then what's up? So I'm going to say Browns 30, Ravens 24. Dan just did the eyebrows because (laughs) to pick – to pick the Browns to score more than 20 makes you feel like a crazy person right here. But make your money. 
show us what you got, Kevin and Baker. This is it. You can't ask for anything more. You're at home against a wounded rival that's coming off a rough loss. You have everything to play for. You're as healthy as you're going to be in December. And you have every motivation in the world. Let's go. So I have enough belief left in them that I don't think they come out and lay an egg. But if they do, hi, yi, 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 we'll be looking at everybody involved with this in a different way. Yeah, I mean, the 30 points, of course, is why I raised my eyebrows. This team has scored 17 or more twice since week four. I mean, this goes back to Minnesota. That's how long this has been going on. But those two times have been 40-plus point games. So when they've done it, they've done it big. Um, so, so that's sort of what you're saying here. Look, Doug, I'm with you. I, I'm going to pick the Browns, not as high scoring. I'm going to say 17-14, in part just because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust my process here. I always thought this would be a split. My gut kind of told me after the bye week, the Browns are going to win. I think they have some advantages built in schedule-wise. They are home. They are off the bye. The Ravens are running out of guys. And so I think the Browns are going to just win a really ugly game that folks will feel good about because it's a win and it's over the Ravens, but maybe they're not going to feel amazing about. It's going to be an ugly win uh, to at least keep things alive for a little while. Uh, You know, I I thought the Browns could win both of these football games. And if somebody would have told me before the previous game that they would pick off Lamar Jackson four times and hold the Ravens to 16 points, I would have taken that as a victory all day long. It never occurred to me that the offense could be that bad in that football game. So I've I've thought all along that the Browns were the better football team just because of the injuries. I mean, and I I think this is important to to note. I mean, the Browns can't, whatever happens this season, they have to know that they can't compare or they can't plan for the Ravens to be uh, this beat up again next year. I mean, this is a shell of of the Ravens team that's going to show up next year. Um, But I think they're better. I think they're better. I think the loss of Marlon Humphrey hurts. I think the, return of Calais Campbell helps, but he was sick yesterday and I haven't seen the injury report yet today. I I don't know if he practiced yesterday. I think their injury report is out, but I haven't seen it yet myself. If Calais Campbell comes back, I think that's going to be significant um, because I do think that the defensive front, uh, that's what, that's where they can win the game. I think the Ravens can win the game based on the strength of their defensive front against some of the Browns weaknesses on the offensive line. But I still think the Browns can win, and I think they can do it by hitting some big plays. And I think Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt will call some of those big plays. I think they'll call some of those shots. And I think Baker's going to hit some of them this time. I think some of those guys are going to hang on. I think DPJ will hang on to one. I think somebody else is going to hang on to one. They're going to take advantage of some of those issues in the secondary this time, and they're going to hang on, and they're going to make a couple of plays. I think they're going to win, and I think it'll be like 21 to 20 or, you know, something like that somewhere along those lines. Yeah, I do think kind of like what Doug was saying, I've placed a lot of faith in this bye week. I think it can solve a lot of issues. I think in a perfect world, it gave them enough time to look at the playbook, maybe throw some things out that weren't working based on personnel or whatever. I think a lot of these guys with lingering injuries, hopefully got the rest they need to make some of these big plays. Um, I've gone back and forth on a score in my mind, but I think just given where the offense was prior to the buy, I want to be slightly more conservative and say like 21, 17 or 21, 18, which was around what I predicted the first time they played the Ravens. But I do think the Browns maybe come out on top this time. And we see a little bit more from them offensively um, moving in the right direction as opposed to that last game. Calais Campbell did return to practice on Thursday, by the way, for Baltimore. Okay. That's, that's you're all all a bunch of homers. (laughs) (laughs) You think they're going to say you picked the, you picked the Browns to win in Baltimore last time, right? Did I? I can't really remember. See, you just had it flipped, man. It's okay. It's all, it's going to be one and one. Okay. All right. Well, and just, just to note everyone who just listened, 
Um, we are recording this. It's Thursday at about 4.15. Um, so what we do know right now is David Njoku, Anthony Walker, Jamie Gillen are all still on the reserve COVID-19 list. So whenever you're listening to this, we don't know if anyone's been added. Uh, of course, like Mary Kay mentioned, there's still that chance that maybe David Njoku could play on Sunday. So uh, just keep that in mind as you're listening to this uh, based on what could happen here over the next 24 hours. Whatever happens, we'll talk about it after the game on our post-game pod. Uh, so check that out um, coming on Sunday night. That'll post on your feeds. you got to make sure you're subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast wherever you listen to your pods and make sure you're a football insider subscriber to cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. So for Ashley Scott, Doug, and Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.